Hello, I'm Toby. I like Doctor Who, and I'm about to watch a story chosen for me by a friend with the aim of mining it for positives in order to guess what their favourite things about this particular adventure are. So join me, watch along with me if you like, or just listen as I chat to you, offer facts, opinions and observations, but mainly try to get us to those special planes that Doctor Who takes us to, those happy times and places. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a positive Doctor Who episode commentary with me, Toby Haydoke. So it's time for episode four, but before that, a quick recap to remind us who has chosen this particular adventure and why. Hello, my name's Chris Boyle and I'm a full-time A-level law teacher and an incredibly part-time comedian and podcaster. The story that I've chosen is The Day of the Daleks, and the reason I've chosen that is because I do have problems uh, with The Third Doctor. Um, He should be my favourite. He's played by John Pertwee, he wears velvet jackets, he does incredibly complicated fight sequences whilst holding a glass of whiskey, and yet, more often than not, I find him a bit pompous and a bit superior, and it gets on my nerves. So I'm going to see if I can find the positives in a third Doctor story. Well, good evening. And let's go back to the day of the Daleks. Episode 4. Press play in 3, 2, 1... Now. Um, Welcome back. It's the final episode of Day of the Daleks. Um, Those of you who are watching these episodes in chronological order, which is how I advise that you do. um, I mentioned my friend Mark Patterson, I think, in episode two, um, helping with uh, the tracing of Louis Marx, who wrote this story. Uh, then didn't hear from Mark, apart from obviously we're Facebook friends, so you sort of think, oh, I know that person. When did you last speak to them? <laughs> a million years ago. Um, Mark dropped me a line. That's a great opening with the with the blur coming into focus. That's a glorious way to open the episode. Um, and now I don't... Do they have the, the zoo? No, they don't, because... If, if they'd had the whole of the bit of the last episode, we'd have seen the beginning of the title sequence. So actually the cliffhanger sting coming in, which is unusual, uh, is actually only in two uh, reprises. What? Yeah, so it's only a two-episode thing. And as I said, I do like a, uh, an unusual way of uh, doing the titles. That's why I love season seven and the ones on the ambassadors of death. I always like it if they they mess about a bit with with how the titles and cliffhangers and things like that are are done. Uh, I don't mind sort of messing with the with the format in that way. Uh, that's why the sixties is sometimes interesting and season seven. Anyway, um, Mark, my friend, uh, I heard from relatively recently because uh, he'd got and it was a video message from his sons. Uh, uh, I mean, Mark and I were mates at university. So the fact that he's got sons who are capable of 
walking and talking and doing things. And they sent me some questions about Doctor Who because they are Doctor Who fans. Um, uh, and I said my friend was called Mark Patterson. Uh, and you may, if you're watching the video version of this, see the name Dylan Patterson in the credits because Dylan, Mark's son, um, having spoken to me, then uh, sought out my show Moth Saint, my Doctor Who scarf and had a listen and was so inspired that he did a little design for me with my name on it and I said well actually can we can we change that and and and, and use it for the for the different iterations of these uh, these podcasts and video casts so the graphic design the titles the title card is done uh thanks to a young man who was inspired by Doctor Who whose dad put him in touch with me because he had some questions uh uh and so he then, you know, used what he does well, which is his artistic uh, skill to, um, uh, to, you know, to, to, to express himself as I did through comedy. Uh, he's done through art. So I thought that was a very appropriate thing to do was to, to use his graphic design. So hire him. He's very young. <laughs> but uh, what a lovely thing, eh? Um, I love the controller's journey. Um and and Aubrey Woods does it well because he's the he's the bad guy. But you and even though he's done some terrible things, threatening the manager and and um, uh, you know, sort of tricking Joe, you you still buy the fact that even though he's and again he's quite a theatrical baddie, he he actually there's a humanity there and he uh, and you think he's doing the right thing. Quizzling, uh, and and the the controller's position is understandable as far as he is concerned. He is right, uh, although of course you know you know he convinces himself that he's right, but he's the one who gets fruit and a nice chair and uh, and and and, 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 and and you know and the nice clothes and the whatever it is that makes your face shiny that other people don't get. So, uh, you know, there's, there's interesting dynamics there that, he, you know, he he is decent. We do like him. We're supposed to sympathise with the journey that he takes. But, you know, he took that journey after living a life of largesse and, uh, uh, and, and, and threatening people below him and doubtless ordering the deaths and imprisonment of people. But he's going, yeah, but I've got to survive. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, take my yoga lessons so I can sit like a controller. Um, and I, I use this story. I remember my, my uncle is, is uh, 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 my uncle's the, the uncle from London. And he's the sort of, you know, he was, he was once in a lift with Tom Baker. It was like, wow, that's amazing. And my uncle has always been a bit disparaging of Doctor Who until it came back. Uh, but, but, and, 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 but he's a real film buff, my uncle. Uh, and he's he's edited stuff as well. He's, he's an editor. He's a film editor. He's, um, but we're not a showbiz family. He's my cool uncle. We're, we're from the countryside. We have muddy boots and drafts and, uh, you know, no no conduit to show business. But my uncle is a bit of a maverick um, film editor. And but but he but you thought thought he'd love Doctor Who. But, but no, he thought he'd think it's rubbish. And I always but he, I remember saying, oh, good science fiction you should like the terminator that's a great film and i remember going ah yeah but terminator stole an idea from doctor who so if you like the terminator you've got like doctor who. oh this is um so scott fredericks obviously doesn't die uh 
on film very clearly because um, you see him jump there and get blown up. Uh, oh, and these extras get killed as well. I think they've got names in the book. Are they are they Mark Jacob and Zando? I haven't read that book for 35 years. They're somewhere in the back of my head. And there's Boaz dead and what looks like lots of sort of bloody bandages. So he gets quite a horrible death. But obviously they got the film back and went, it's really not clear that that's Boaz and Scott Fredericks. So then you have a sudden cut to him halfway through that film sequence on videotape of him against a black drape going, look out and at, so that you know that the person that gets blown up uh, is is him. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and there's a bit like that in a Blake 7 episode. Is it the second episode of Blake 7 with Brian Blessing? I think Pamela Salem also gets killed in a sudden awkward videotape cutaway in an otherwise filmic sequence because they'd not it had not been done clear enough. Um, and I think that's a, a, I think Tony Quanta gets a very unclear death in uh, in in Colony in Space because his death is on on film and if they didn't get the requisite close up or whatever. Um, but so they, they, they went to make, you know, they went to make that scene clearer. Um, but um, and I think in a special edition, they they filmize that shot. So it, it fits in slightly better because film and videotape do jar. If you're made like us, my mother wouldn't have noticed the difference. She could never tell the difference between film and videotape. If she said, look, this is a different sort of grain to the stuff that's inside. Got, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Um, but she doesn't get why Alan Partridge is funny because she finds it too awkward. Um uh, we sit, we Doctor Who fans or old telly fans, uh, yeah, we, I think sometimes we speak a visual language that others do not. And sometimes, you know, we see things as convincing where everybody else thinks things look awful. So, um, you know, sometimes it works to our advantage and sometimes not. Uh, and that meant I talked a lot through um, the scene with the controller where they say, you know, he would always, they would always have found somebody else, which is very true. But, and that doesn't let the controller off the hook, but it shows the controller being shown mercy. And also, but it also says to him, you know, you're not, you're not special, mate. Any, you know, anybody would have, you know, if there was always going to be somebody that would sell people out, may as well have been you. Um, so it doesn't let him off the hook, but it does make him ultimately do the right thing. And I think that's really interesting. And that's a nice journey. I'm sure it's Mark, Jacob and Zando. Because in the in the book, characters get more to do. In fact, Moni, Moni he, gets the, he gets the opening of the book. Um, but yeah, so, and it's quite good that to give extras, as they are in here, they're just, you know, they, they were in that sequence, who just get killed. But if you suddenly introduce characters and they've got names, you go, oh, I'll get to the, oh no, Mark, Jacob and Zando have just become, do they all get killed? I think they do. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, you know, it's it, when you've got a book, if you can give, you know, if you can give even just a name to a, a, a character that is otherwise just sort of, you know, visual fodder. Um, he's got a he's got a chain round his neck. He's got a medallion round his neck as uh, well. You can't see if it's a medallion, but he's got a chain as uh, Monia, Valentine Palmer, um, who was who was, I think, something of a. a, a a, a big deal he, 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 uh, as as an actor in the seventies, uh, but he t he told me he he um, he got bored quite easily, so he did a bit of acting and he did quite well, and then he, he's he's very beautiful, isn't he? Um, and then, and then went and did something else. He's got a good face. Um, uh, but I had a nice time with him at a uh, when after he you know he offered his services to be interviewed. Um, he directed a film as well. Ah, now sure, has had an episode off, hasn't he? Um, 
Jimmy Winston. Um, and he's going to go and do that great Doctor Who thing of uh, uh, sacrificing yourself. So he's essentially done what... Well, they've all essentially done what um, uh, the Michael Biehn character does in The Terminator. And But I think there's an Outer Limits episode as well, isn't there? So it's not an unusual science fiction trope, but it was enough for me to claim that Doctor Who was just as good as the films my uncle liked. But of course, what my uncle liked about the films was that they were films and they are filmic. Uh, uh, and, and films can do things that you can't do in a television studio. But I wasn't having that as a as a furious youngster who wanted everybody to like Doctor Who and was angry if people didn't like Doctor Who. But I think now we, we've passed through that embarrassment phase with with old television or perhaps I just don't care what other people think but I'm less conscious of the sort of boring oh the sets wobbled or oh it's flat you know that that is trotted out again often as I alluded to last episode by people that are paid for a living to know and write about television um we're, uh, anyway anyway we are here to uh, well I am accentuating the positive I'm just being negative about the people who don't accentuate the positive and that's therefore a negative about a negative which in itself is a positive uh like a cobweb um this yes the lighting in this uh this cellar i've mentioned before and it really does work um and yes yes suicide uh Self-sacrifice is quite a uh, a thing that runs through um, Doctor. It's a it's an act of bravery, isn't it, to to give your life to save others? And have they done the? Oh, this is so. This is where they do the reveal, isn't it? Where and what a great twist is that? You've got these soldiers from the future who've come to come to kill. The, they've they're, they're Terminators, basically. They've cut. They've come to. Come to do a, a a benign version of what the Terminator does in the Terminator. They've come to kill what they think is a bad guy, in order to stop the bad future happening. Uh, uh, and uh, whereas the Terminator travels back to kill Sarah Connor, um, uh, to ensure that the bad is prosper. So the good is. That they're the goodies, sure, but they've just realised that they are the architects of their own destruction. And at least he, you know, he has the courtesy to call it a, what does he call it, a temporal paradox? A temporal paradox, which just says, so we can do that. Oh, and this has, of course, got the the, the famous story about the Blinovich limitation effect, hasn't it? Uh, saying saying that, you, you know, you, you, you can't do something again. Why not? Because of the Blinovich limitation effect what's that oh no uh, i've been interrupted before i have to give the explanation uh which i think barry Letts or terence dicks used as a kind of uh example of how you could be cheeky but you would still raise the specter of why time travel didn't let you do things you know more over and over and over again which actually in the timey-wimey era of the show you could i i think that causes problems for storytelling. Um, I, I think you, you, you can't get too clever with what Doctor Who does with time travel because then you can use it to conveniently get you out of trouble. Whereas this, the whole point of the story is that, um, you know, is the, is, the, is the paradox, which is a nice big shocker, but they don't, 
they can't solve it by keep going to try and go back and change it and change it and change it until they get what they want which i think is dramatically a bit you know a bit feeble um so i think i think you're allowed it in this because that 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 paradox is allowed to be the sort of plot plot twist but they then don't, don't get sort of consumed by the whole time travel thing and make it um you know make time travel the method with which they solve the time travel paradox apart from just stopping the act um but the doctor uses that through you know persuading sure and uh the human interaction and, and you know they have to get back um via the controller so it's more about the people and the dynamics which is which is more interesting than sort of silly time travel games in a way um so i think they i, I think they pitch the time travel right because doctor doesn't do time travel that often does it? It, it time travel gets you to the story and it gets you away from the story but then you can't ask too many questions about it uh and, and i i think you 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 danger your you endanger your credibility because the layman, the person on the street, has always said, you know, when you say about Doctor Who, well, why don't they just travel back in time and stop that happening uh, when something goes wrong? You go, well, you can't. And in Doctor Who at this point, you generally can't. Um, uh, I, 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 yeah, this is this is the natural conclusion uh, of of the the controller's journey um and aubrey woods does it really well and it is an interesting performance because he does do all that theatrical stuff but there is he's not like the sort of uh, uh you know waxy dalek ladies is that he 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 there is a hu humanity to him there that is concurrent with this rather avant-garde um approach to physicality and and vocal delivery but it works and it's actually quite touching in places, uh, even though he's got a shiny silver face. Um, and senior guard gets a yeah gets a bit of a, a a moment where he gets you know gets to do slightly more than guards tend to do in Doctor Who. He gets a bit of a a, a duplicitous character arc, um, where his you know sadism and his enjoyment of what he does kind of pays off it's a nice it's a nice little unpleasant arc although of course by you know within five or ten minutes uh he will never have existed to be such a beast um but that's the yeah well done well done it's a you 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 get your parting shot controller uh and yeah andrew carr who i think was also an artist um uh, gets gets a nice little bit in that in that good costume, uh, and yeah, I think he gets a nice. He, uh, you know, in this world, it's quite a. Although you know, we know this world gets. Look how far he goes! Look how far he exits because of the clever depth of field that we've got because of the way that the the sets are positioned. Alex Macintosh at Orderly House. Alex Macintosh. I love the fact that he gets a, a caption because this is what we're seeing is also the news report. But Alex McIntosh was a news reporter. So he is one of that rare uh, bevy of people playing themselves, although he's not credited as himself, Alex McIntosh. He's credited as TV presenter, but he was a TV presenter. So that's a nice uh, that's a nice bit of uh, 
I'm going to say verisimilitude. So uh, if you're playing the verisimilitude drinking game. Uh, oh, and of course, do we see Miss... Do we see Miss Paget? Because Deb Jean McFarlane, who plays Miss Paget, is oh, and that's that, that that extra that we just saw opening the door is is Glenn Witter, who was in on the buses, um, but he's just a, he's he's just an extra in in, in this, and he think he'd been one of the Egyptian slaves in uh, in uh, Dalek's Master Plan, um, but this in, this person holding the briefcase, who's an extra called Desmond Verini, um, should be Jean McFarlane, uh, Miss Paget, who we saw in episode one. Uh, who I don't know an awful lot about, but I, I did find something about her. As a, I think she was a model. She was quite tall back in the day, but I, th I think she's no longer with us. Um, but she fell ill during this, so couldn't make the, the 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 recording for this episode. So although she's credited, and I think she does appear on film, uh, she she doesn't take her place in the studio. So Miss Miss Paget uh, vanishes, uh, even though she's credited. Well, this was a, that's an iconic uh, there's fo there's those there's photos of the daleks and the ogron coming out the tunnel it's a really nicely chosen piece of location that actually because you can disappear into the inky blackness on film and then reappear on videotape without too much of a a, a, a jar and uh and that's quite good because we're suggesting quite a lot of daleks and ogrons coming here and that that sort of works it works less well in the final shootout when when you know because one of the Daleks is a different colour, it's kind of obvious there are three Daleks. Um, everybody does hold their hands quite high aloft when you know, they get uh, killed by the Daleks uh, in this story and in sort of weird slow motion. Um, oh, doesn't the Brigadier yell at Styles here, which I rather like. Um, I like it when the Brigadier sort of puts his foot down but remains terribly polite. And doesn't he go, get out of this house, sir, you twat <laughs> he does that in a bit i think um um yes and i'm sure there's a bit in the book where shura who's young and and and, and in real pain and stuff i think doesn't he hug the bomb and, and it says it uh, and shura shura had a feeling of oh not satisfaction but comfort he's comforted that's the that's the shot of john levine that's that i think is a lovely shot of him there's a photo of him with him and the radio doing that um, and it's a really good pick of Brendan. Now be quiet, sir. I love the, the Nicholas Courtney pitches everything brilliantly. Um, he's such a charming actor. Um, and so Desmond Verini must have phoned home and gone, I've got a line. Gene McFarlane's ill. They've, they've given me a line. Uh, he must have been delighted. Um, and, and this is always talked of this, this climax as being, slightly disappointing because it's obvious that there are three Daleks but at the moment as I'm watching it lots of soldiers explosions this is what I want from the unit era and, and I remember this is done very well in the special edition that was a, a passion project for Steve Broster and uh, uh, and he really went to town on it and uh, uh, and I and I think it's a it's a it's a really good example of what you can do with the DVD range although I am watching the episodes as broadcast and actually this is great there's loads of loads of ogles there's Jean McFarlane, she is tall, isn't she? Um, uh, so, she, so she, yeah, she's still credited and still in the episode, but uh, she sh she should have been indoors as well. But of course, that was done at a completely different time. I think they got into trouble from the car company because they put decals on the on the cars and it, it damaged the cars. Um, this battle is not. I do think the gold Dalek doesn't help, but I don't think it's as limited as as perhaps I was expecting. But 
I have charged myself with being positive and I was sort of in mind to anticipate the things that didn't quite work and I think that worked all okay. Yeah, so he's doing it. I mean, it is an act of self-sacrifice, but actually he's wiped out the future that he comes from anyway. But I still think it's brave. Um, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure he hugs the bomb in the book. I remember that being quite... You know, it was quite strange. Well, no, it worked for me that. It was interesting that I understood that you could be doing a terrible thing and throwing your life away, but it, it suddenly everything sort of made sense to him. I don't think I've imagined this. But as I say, it's at least 35 years since I read that book, I should think. The target books were a great part of your development of, a, of, of, of being a Doctor Who fan if you're from my generation. Um, yeah... You tell him, and hats off to Jimmy Winston and uh, uh, R.I.P. Sir. Um, and of course, this this episode ends quite abruptly because you're supposed to actually then go back to Unit HQ and have the have the scene that we had in episode one. But instead, you have this this sort of. I mean, it's not it's not it's not downbeat. It's not downbeat, is it? But it's it's sort of quite on the nose, and I and 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 you know the the fact that the Doctor Who universe was you know on the verge of World War Three or whatever, I I think is quite it's quite hard stuff when you're a kid, and especially you know with the iconography of World War Two and, and dramas and comic strips and and films about World War Two were still pretty prevalent, although they'd happened before my lifetime. You know, my there, my mother was born during the Second World War, but you know, grandparents fought in it. It was terrible times, and the idea that there could be another one was was absolutely terrifying, and you know, but but not entirely out of the question. So to 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 sort of dangle not dangle the carrot because that suggests we'd want it but the the shadow of that the sword of the the damocles hanging uh uh was was you know felt grown up and felt and felt pretty scary so i you know i think the idea of ending on that sort of warning of go, you know going yeah we've we've seen what happens if you don't do it and and the idea that that you know that politician's got to got to get it right otherwise you know that terrible dystopian future will happen uh you know flies in the face of that idea we have about the coziness of the unit family and the unit era which i think we would feel that sort of coziness if we had the the sort of witty return to to the scene from, from episode one although it does mean that scene from episode one is, is slightly redundant and doesn't make quite make sense without the payoff it is in the book read the book go read the book but before that we need to see what chris boyle has liked about episode four and over all and so what am i gonna go for for episode four and for over all well i think overall because I haven't mentioned it yet, is is you know that 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 bit where where, where Andrew Carr, the chief guard, walks off right into the distance. There's loads of shots like that where, because of the nature of the set, our perspective is played with. Um, so it's more than the set design; it's the depth of it's the depth of the shot, the depth of field, the 
the, the, the proportions of the doors to the people, the way that people are framed within doors or, or, go, or disappear right into the back of set. I think that, and we could even call it art direction, could we? No, I don't know. Um, whatever that is, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going for. Is that an overall thing? Or is that, uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's an overall thing. Uh, and also, well, maybe, maybe what, what I've just talked about towards the end there, the fact that Earth is on the verge of World War Three. I think, I think that's repost to the oft mooted idea that the poetry era is is a little cozy that's very edgy and obviously done you know in in the manner of uh, of, of a children's a child-friendly television program that still felt pretty that felt pretty gutsy to me and felt um uh, uh, is that's why the i didn't even talk much about the dalek voices peter messaline uh, who was Canadian. I don't know much about Oliver Gilbert, but Peter Messaline only died a couple of years ago. My friend Mike in Canada got me his autograph, but I still haven't received it. So it's somewhere, somewhere there. Um, anyway, anyway, it's the enemies. It's the too many syllables that doesn't quite work. Anyway, that doesn't matter. We are accentuating the positive. Um, so World War Three, and the the... The proportion and depth of the the sets and the shooting of them—they're my two things. My episode four thing and my bonus thing. What has my friend Chris chosen? Episode four of Day of the Daleks, and I've gone with the revelation that the uh, gorillas were the cause of the future that they were trying to prevent all along. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I just think it was incredibly kind of Moffat era. It's so timey-wimey. And it's a, a bit of a rug pull that even Christopher Nolan will be proud of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my uh, that's my, my favourite thing about episode four. And the bonus thing? For my uh, bonus choice, uh, I've gone with the, uh, with the Ogrons. Um... They are basically an army of Bernard Breslaws crossed with Oddbod from Carry On Screaming with a tiny sprinkling of Planet of the Apes. Um, has there ever been a slower-moving armed force in the uh, in the universe? They basically fire their guns while stood stock still and just taking all fire. They are incredible. Um, so my bonus choice um, is the Ogrons. Uh I, I can't believe I didn't choose the Ogrons. Um, I'm still I'm still happy with the things I chose. I don't think I because I nearly chose Alex McIntosh and the verisimilitude that he provided. So I'm glad I pulled back and I think went for something more substantial and interesting. Um, I could have chosen either of Chris's things and I didn't. Uh, the Ogrons I feel particularly uh, missed out there because they are a terrific design and they look great. The costumes, Mary Husband's costumes, I think are very very good. Um, Anyway, so I could have chosen the... Anyway, really enjoyed that. Um, uh, yeah, when I said something about um, using time travel being feeble, I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that Stephen Moffat's use of time travel is, is feeble storytelling. Uh, I put that very badly. I, uh, 
I'm very much like Stephen Moffat's writing. Uh, so, but I think I was trying to allude to the fact that I thought this didn't get too carried away in using time travel to get out of the problem caused by time travel. <sighs> Doesn't matter. Anyway, if, if I, I, part of me wishes I could go back in time and change what I said, but, um, but, but in a way we, we know that that can cause all sorts of problems. So let's not, but, um, if, if, if you can interpret what I say with the generosity with which I try to express myself and sometimes fail, but the generosity of spirit I try to exude, then we're going to do this podcast fine because this is all about trying to see the good uh, and trying to enjoy the good and trying to watch Doctor Who with an open mind and an open heart and remind ourselves why we like it, particularly as I record this when we're in lockdown, where I go on social media and I see people being mean to each other uh, and accentuating the negative because it's so easy to do and there's something quite cathartic about that. I just hope here in this little corner, this little corner of the internet that I'm carving here, uh, that uh, that we can that we can remind ourselves why we like Doctor Who, and and try and try and uh, escape from all of the 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 difficult things that are flying around us at the moment in a a world that seems to be full of schisms and uh, people up against each other and people and divisiveness and all sorts of things that, uh, you know, is the world I stepped out of to look at these cameras and speak into this microphone whilst Doctor Who was on. And I'm going to try and do that, even though I am a cynical, glass-half-empty, pessimistic sort of person. I'm fighting against my own nature to do this. So please help me. Send some feedback, if you like. Uh, send some positive uh, vibes to my uh, mailing list, if you can, on www.tobyhaydock.com. And let's just try and beat the dark, because uh, we don't want the future to be awful. Because, frankly, I can't afford the silver makeup. I'll see you for whatever the next story is. Thanks for joining me for this one. It's the first one. If, if there's things you don't like about this, I'm hoping I'll iron out the kinks. Um, uh having just celebrated one of the small faces. Uh, and uh, I'll hopefully see you at the next one. Um, thanks to Chris Boyle, who's a great guy. Do seek out his stuff. Uh, he's going to, I'm going to have a little bit at the end where he plugs his wares. Um, uh, so please avail yourself of them. I hope that's the other thing this does, is it maybe introduces you to some creative people. I'm very lucky that I've had an outlet um, thanks to Doctor Who, but Doctor Who's inspired a lot of creative people, uh, far more creative than I am, and uh, and I hope to maybe bring some of them into your orbit, uh, uh, and that uh, as a result of this, if nothing else, you discover them and uh, and get their podcasts or art or comedy or or whatever it is that they do. Anyway, I seem to have gone on approximately forever, um, so uh, 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 let's uh, let's wind up there. Thanks very much. Uh, Keep supporting uh, these things if you can. And to you and yours, the very happiest of times and places. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. Oh, I was close with the names of those rebel extras in the book. It's Mark, Joab and Zando. Mark, Joab and Zando. 
because I was nearly there. If you don't like to hear a little bit more from me, uh, but you are too old to enrol on the A-level law course at the FE college that I teach at, but you are a fan of trivia that's liberally punctuated with bad language, um, then you can tune into my occasional podcast, Chris Boyle Didn't Know That. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and I'm sure loads of other podcast providers as well. Um, thank you very much, and goodbye. Chris Boyle downplays his comedy in his intro to these episodes, which is typical of him, but also wrong. He's talented, very friendly, somewhat geeky, and very engaging. And uh, I know you'd be tuned in to what he's saying, so please check him out. He's also got a lovely singing voice, and he's putting various videos out there on top of his podcasts. Since recording his biog for us, he has rebooted and relaunched his podcast, which now goes under the name Chris Boyle's Mild Life Crisis. Check it out, you'll have fun. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Chris Boyle. Music for Happy Times and Places was specially composed by Dave Gates. Please go to www.tobyhadoke.com for more and don't forget to rate, thumbs up and generally be nice about this podcast everywhere that you possibly can. Next time on Happy Times and Places, pack a potato, we're going to Trafalgar Square. It's the Sontaran Experiment. support these podcasts and any other of my broadcasting endeavours at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock and ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Patrons get special goodies and advance releases and my eternal gratitude. Doctor Who is BBC copyright and no attempt has been made to infringe that copyright. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.